Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. Today we're talking with Becky Wilbur of Wilbur Fertilizer Service in Cherokee, Oklahoma, where she helps run the family business and volunteers as an EMT and firefighter. And I just want to say, if you're thinking about moving back to rural America, this episode is for you. This is a really important discussion where Becky shares openly and honestly about her decision to move back to her hometown and help run the family business and why she says it was one of the hardest but best decisions of her life. We also touch on important topics in agriculture and what it means to be a single female in rural America. So here we go with Becky Wilbur. Well, we're here today with Becky Wilbur of Wilbur Fertilizer Services in Cherokee, Oklahoma. Becky, thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So you're actually working now in your family business, and this has been part of generations of your family. So tell us a little bit about the background behind that. Okay. My great-grandfather actually started the business as a Minneapolis Moline dealer but then it transitioned into Wilbur Fertilizer Service. In 1965, I saw a newspaper article the other day that might have said 63, but we call it 65. And then my grandfather partnered with my great-grandfather. My dad finished and graduated from Oklahoma State University in 1974 and moved home. Then fast forward to me graduating college and... uh, Really, I, I made a lot of square circles. I farmed a lot growing up in the summers. and uh, But it wasn't my career path at first. So I went off, and then my brother, my younger brother, moved back home in 2010. Then it came to the time period where we did have a business. Uh, my dad had a business partner because there wasn't any other family members at the time to carry on that family business with him, and we were growing to where we needed, you know, a couple more people working. And the business partner was ready to maybe do something different. So I was working in academia at Oklahoma State University, and my brother was already here with his wife, and my parents approached me and my brother, like, you know, this is a big decision. Do you guys want to carry on the family business? If not, we, you know, need to weigh some options and so my brother and I talked about it quite extensively, and my, my parents, and we all talked about it extensively, and I just decided, you know, the value of my dad's efforts for 40 years com- added with my grandfather and great-grandfather's efforts, it meant a lot for me to come home and at least give it a shot, which was five years ago this coming January, February. So that's where we are now, 50-plus um, years in a agriculture business and a agriculture community that's not exactly thriving right now because of commodity prices, but you still dredge on. And that's part of farming. Some days, some years there's good years and some years there's challenging years. And we've had a couple years of challenging years, but that's how I made it to Cherokee, back to Cherokee, Oklahoma, um, and leaving a career at Oklahoma State to come, to come home. That's awesome. So have you always had a love for agriculture? Has that always been kind of part of your life? Or were you just totally doing a new thing when you came back to do this? No, we grew up full-fledged farm kids. Okay. Matter of fact, I just joked with somebody yesterday. There's strong and then there's farm strong. And sometimes I don't realize my farm strength. 
But I remember as a kid going out with my dad to the mama cows and babies and milking a, or, you know, bottle cap. We had to have a bottle calf, so it might be in our garage, and we had bottle calf growing up. And then when I got old enough to drive a tractor, I joke with people that I've made a lot of square circles in my time because we were till farmers at the time. And so I spent a lot of hours, you know, learning the value of hard work, of getting up before sunup, staying on a tractor till almost sundown, harvest the long hours during harvest in a wheat truck that didn't have air conditioning. <laughs> that was, you know, but it was that value of hard work and farm living and that has, you know, got me to where I am today. So all the way through pretty much college, um, one summer I, when I was in college, worked on the Walt Disney World College program. So that was the first summer that my dad didn't have me as, as help. And, uh, kind of when he started transitioning into no-till farming because he kind of lost his tractor driver. <laughs> and so <laughs> I graduated college and went off to grad school and spent, you know, eight years in professional career and in higher education. And, and even made so it to Costa Rica. I did make it to Costa Rica, yes, um, which is interesting, kind of another agriculture background, you know, um, the little community that I lived in was in the coffee, the mountainous, areas of the coffee plantation. So my host family that I lived with right across the road was coffee plantation. Not too far down was the sugarcane plantation. Wow. And so, but I was at a threshold in my career in higher education and campus recreation of do I stay in higher ed? Do I go back to public ed? Or what, you know, what do I do? I was at a crossroads. Yeah. So I decided to move to Costa Rica and help an after-school English program to see if it was the younger kids that I wanted to deal with or if it was the college-age kids that I wanted to deal with. And I knew my heart after being in Costa Rica was college-age, so which led me back to Oklahoma State University. Land-grant institution, had a ton of farm um, friends, ag, you know, ag-centered friends that I've still lifelong friends today. I think you naturally gravitate to the people of your own your same kind or your, your likings or your, what you grew up doing. And, um, so yeah, so from higher ed, Costa Rica, back to higher ed, then back to where my roots are in, in the agriculture community. Yeah. So talk with us a little bit about that. What was that like having to make that decision? Because I know that involved, it was a sacrifice for you. Absolutely. It was not an easy decision. Um, I was at a point in my career that I absolutely loved my job. I loved the university I worked with. I had a fantastic group of friends. And I, it was hard. And I think even today, it's still difficult. I, um, I would say, you know, 80% of the time, I know it was the best decision. It was a great decision. 15% of the time, I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know if I should redirect again or... I don't know. And then 5% I'm like, I got to get out of this small town because <laughs> a lot of it is, you know, I'm a single female in an agriculture community that's very, um, you know, for well, honestly, very male driven. And so there's challenges there. Um, there's challenges being single in a small town. But what keeps me grounded is I did have a very good upbringing in Cherokee. Um, I did have a very 
believe it or not, out of all the arguments that my dad and I got into because I didn't leave the tractor warming up long enough before I started or, <laughs> you know, I was frustrated because my plow was packed full of dirt and I got into some mud and I had to dig it out and he's wondering what's wrong and I'm like, my, well, it's just been one of those days. But, you know, so, but for the most part, I went back to that, you know, 80% of the time, my mom and my dad are still here. I get to spend time with them as much as I would like to. My older brother's here. My younger brother, his wife, two kids are here. So, and I live in a community that gave a lot to me. And so I'm able to move back and I'm able to hopefully give back to a community that gave a lot to me. That's awesome. And I know that you decided, you made a decision when you came back to get really involved. So mm-hmm. you are an EMT, you're a firefighter, you uh, were on the city council at one point too, right? That's correct. Yeah. So talk to us about that. Like, why do you think it's important for young people to get involved in the community and what has that meant for you? Sure. Well, first of all, I, it kind of follows my personality. Staying busy is where I function the best. And then there comes a time where it's like, I just need some downtime. Like last Sunday, I was like, I took a four hour nap. Like, I can't remember the last time I took a four hour nap. (laughs) But so I think it's easy in the generation today for people who want to work nine to three and make six figures. And the reality of that is just not realistic. Where me, I could be very complacent with going to work at seven o'clock in the morning and, and working sometimes, uh, I told, sometimes working a eight hour job or eight hour day, sometimes working a 16 hour day. I joke with people, I never really liked winter but I'm beginning to like winter a whole lot more because it's less daylight hours in the day that we actually have to work because summers are so, you know, so long, so hard hours, lots of, I mean, you get tired and it's like your third week in a row, sun up to sundown. And so I think the generation of today sometimes gets complacent with working few hours for what they think is a whole lot more money, but I, that's, that's not me. Um, I was taught to work hard, play hard. So when I moved back, I obviously, we work in agriculture, so it's long hours in the Mm -hmm. first place. And then somebody came up to me and was like, hey, there's an EMR class and an EMT class. Would you like to take it? And I was like, well, you know, my minor was in biology and I always had an interest in the anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, science part of it have an interest, you know, in medicine and helping people. And so, sure. So I took this EMR class and I took the successfully passed the EMT class. And four years later, I am able to work on the ambulance as I actually am on duty right now. (laughs) Went on at seven o'clock last night. I go off at seven o'clock in the morning. But what that's allowed me to do is there again, give back to a community. Um, I don't look at it really as a job. I look at it as a service to a community, like I said earlier, that gave so much to me. Yeah. And then somebody was like, you know, we need an EMT on the fire department, and I wouldn't want anybody else but, you know, you going along right alongside with us, and would you be interested in becoming a fireman, firewoman? I'm like, well, kind of a pyromaniac growing up, so <laughs> maybe, Why not? maybe I could, you know, I like to, you know, we so sure. And then, um, so I am a a fireman. I've been on a little over a year. And so there again, but it's allowing me to give back. When I first moved back, my dad actually was 
the mayor for a lot of years growing up. So when I first moved back, there was a opportunity for me to serve on city council, which was challenging and frustrating at times and somewhat rewarding. But city council, I, I ended up moving out of that, that ward and I actually um, missed the filing deadline, the refiling deadline, and so I didn't get asked to serve again, which is okay because there was a lot of stress that came with that that I was like, oh, I gotta go to city council tonight. No, you know, but then I was still, I still looked at it as a big picture of hopefully being able to make decisions that not only affected today in the city, but how would my decision and my vote today affect 15 years down the road? And that's kind of the way I looked at it. A lot of people think very, you know, upfront and, oh, I'm going to make this, this is the best decision today. But I'm a very holistic, big picture thinker that a lot of times I'll reverse the role and say, okay, if I'm 30 years from now, how is this decision today going to affect 30 years from now? And I, that's, so that might have been a little bit of a challenge in my thinking on the council because I tried to, I did try to think big picture. And I, you know, so, so, you know, I, I didn't continue the city council route because I am so busy in other regards. Yeah. You know, I volunteer if I can with track and field. And I was a state sh champion shot put and discus. So there's a lot of girls or boys that are like, hey, can you come help me with shot and disc? Yes, if we can get our schedules together. <laughs> you know, so that I guess if that answers your question about being involved, I am an EMT. I was on city council. I'm current firefighter. Um, and I just try to give back. I volunteered at the regional food bank that we have here in town. And, you know, when people want an MC for a rodeo, you know, I'm like, well, I'm uh, sure I might stutter and I might mispronounce and whatever, but I'll do it. You know? yeah. So <laughs> I guess I just, they maybe have somebody that can't say no very easily. So <laughs> they know, ask that Wilbur girl. So. No, that's good. So let's talk a little bit about the agricultural aspect of Cherokee. I know there's a lot of different crops farmed in this region and you're coming back, getting into the family business, having been around agriculture your whole life, but now you have to really know kind of the ins and outs of these different crops and the different, you know, fertilizer and all that different kind of stuff. How did you adapt to that? Was it a big learning curve? Did you feel like you knew a lot from your background? I don't think I ever felt like I knew a lot from my background, but I felt like my father laid a good foundation of what you do when you don't know. Or um, So there was a huge learning curve. Because when I was farming as a kid and in college, and I'd come home from professional jobs and help with harvest or whatever, it was wheat. You know, uh -huh. you planted it, you fertilized it, you controlled some weeds in the spring, maybe fertilized it a little bit more, you harvested it. That's it. Now we have so many more crops because wheat's not making a whole lot of money. We have soybeans. We've got sorghum. We've got uh, alfalfa. We're one of the largest, we're usually one of the top two growing, um, or top two counties in the state of Oklahoma for alfalfa production. So we've got alfalfa, we've got um, sesame as a new crop that's within the last two or three years. We've tried canola. Um, there's people that grow canola around for canola oil, for sesame oil, for sesame seeds on your bun. So um, 
knowing the different crops, um, learning. I'm a lifelong learner, and I think that's what helps. Mm -hmm. I can go to a conference, and I can always grasp something that I didn't know. I can always implement something that I've learned into a decision that I make in the tomorrow or make uh, about a specific crop or something that I've heard. So I'm kind of a sponge in, in the I want to learn. I want to be better. Um, my brother also just completed his certified crop advisor, passed it on his first time, very difficult tests, the equivalent of like a CPA getting their or an accountant getting their CPA, passing their CPA exam. So he's... He and my dad are the kind of the foundation of when I don't know, they're my first go-tos because they're so brilliant, way smarter than me. But there again, I, I take what they teach me and hopefully learn where I can make that decision, you know, the, the next time. But I mentioned a little bit earlier that we, different from like the Iowa heartlands, Illinois, soybeans, corn, soybeans, corn, soybeans, corn, where they kind of set the gold standard for agriculture, we tend to fall maybe five, ten years behind that. But I don't think it's just because we're behind it. I think it's because our diversity of crops. Sure. It's easy to um, grid sample and fertilize for corn, and then you know you're going to soybeans. It's a challenge when you grid sample, fertilize for wheat, and then you're going to a milo crop or going to a sesame crop or going to a you know, a bean crop, or sometimes growers may not even know what they're going to go to in their next crop. So as far as the predictability, there's a little bit of a challenge there. So when you ask me, like, was it a challenge to learn? It's not necessarily a challenge to learn, but there's always learning. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not necessarily a challenge because I do embrace being a lifelong learner. And I... It's something new. It's something different. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's not different. It's not new because I've always been around it. But it's something that, you know, it's every day is a different day. And, um, you know, right now we're finishing up soybeans and finishing up sesame stuff. And now we'll kind of let them grow and just kind of monitor them and harvest them. And August, September, October, then we're planting wheat. So it's just... There's gratification of seeing your, I'm way meticulous, very type A perfectionist. So planting that seed, praying for rain, praying for Mother Nature's sometimes challenges with insects, with weeds, with all of that to be kind of, you know, kept on the low end of the spectrum mm -hmm. to then seeing it all the way through harvest and where you can, you know, really kind of reap your benefit of, we planted this, we watched it grow, we managed it. We were able to see it to the end. Yeah. Have you seen it shift a lot? Just going from mostly just a wheat crop, you kind of have a winter down season now with all these different crops. Does that look different for, we don't guys? necessarily have a down season. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, my mom actually just mentioned the other day, I just don't ever remember it being this busy. I said, mom, could you remember wheat? Now we have all these different crops, um, that we're managing year round that we're, you know, we've got winter wheat that's going to go over winter to take us to spring, but then we start alfalfa harvest and, um, putting up hay. And then we go into planting our beans and planting our milo and planting our sesame and, 
seeing them to back to planting wheat. And so there's very little downtime. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day, are you about to see the light at the end of the tunnel? And I'm like, I'm not even sure we've reached the tunnel. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so, that's how busy we've been since really wheat harvest started. Wow. And so there's really not a downtime. The good thing about my working relationship with the family business is we finally, we tell people like, get away. Like, I don't want to see you for mm -hmm. the next, like my brother's taken off this next week. Um, I hopefully will get away for a few days the following week. My mom and dad, my dad worked so hard for 40 years and my mom put up with it for still, you know, and the amount of long hours and hard work they're traveling right now. You know, my mom's birthday's in a couple days, so they're able to get away. So we do try to, which is one of the challenges in farming, find work-life balance. Yeah. But it's a challenge in farming mm -hmm. because, and, and probably one of my friends said it best the other day, it seems like farming is not a job, it's a lifestyle. And I think that's very true. Yes. It's something you embrace. You don't look at it as a job. You look at it as this is, this is my daily, you know, this is what I do. This is what I love. This is how we, you know. And you hope to make a living in the meantime. Yeah. So it's really maybe not a, not that, not a lifestyle, but, or not a job, but you look at it as a lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, so we're sitting here on a Sunday night and you've got people calling and you're, you're helping people out on a Sunday night, but that's really awesome. I know. I finally had to turn my phone on silent because <laughs> I had a call from uh, one of my employees, which we just checking in on what we're doing tomorrow, which is fantastic. Yeah. I had a call from the sheriff who um, was following up on an ambulance call that I had earlier today. And, uh, and a couple other friends, you know, this is kind of a Sunday night when I catch up with friends and do laundry and fold, but you're lucky because I did all my laundry earlier today and got it folded. So, um, but yeah, it's like, you're always, especially when you own a business and you're service, that's the way we look at it. We're really servicing our growers. You're pretty much accessible at any given time. And, you know, our growers know if they get the voicemail that says, hey, if it's mine and I say, hey, call my dad or call my brother, they'll call my dad or my brother. Or if it's my brother's and it says, hey, call Becky, they'll call, you know, me. Uh -huh. So, and I think that's maybe one of the values that people look at us here as an independent retailer in a small town is we are accessible. And while it may not be convenient for us on a Saturday night, it's not uncommon for me to grab a couple bags of seed for somebody that ran out on a Saturday night and there's rain coming in. Like, that's what we do. Yeah. That's what we were taught. That's mm -hmm. the value and the core values of my folks being very cognizant of a successful business. So we're, we, we try to do that as much as we can, but I'll be the first one to tell a girl, like, if I can't do it, I'm just going to have to tell you I can't do it. And they're like, no, totally. That's fine. But I promise I'll try to find somebody that can. Yeah. That's so. great. So working alongside your brother, mm -hmm. how do you guys, divide up your responsibilities like did that take a little work to figure out okay you're good at this I'm good at this here's how we're gonna do it <laughs> right well there really is no job description <laughs> yeah I'm sure there's, there's a not. whole lot of other duties as assigned and sometimes not even as assigned um my brother is a primary uh operator for our rigs and then we have another uh great employee that's an operator and then um we have another employee that is kind of the service truck driver. I do some service truck driving. I do some operating of a high wheel in our row crops. Um, 
I'm the secretary, if you want to say that. I do the billing. Um, but my brother's also the first one that I'm like, Dane, oh, we're so busy. We need to get some invoices out. Is there any way? And so we'll split them and he'll, we'll kind of break them up. So I think what works best with Dane and I is we do work very well together. Don't get me wrong. We get kind of mad at each other from time to time. <laughs> and we might not talk to each other for a couple hours, but then it's like, sorry, sorry. Okay, let's move on. You know? <laughs> so, um, so it's not all, it's not all roses, but we have a very good working relationship. My brother's also an ENT. So a lot of Sundays we work on the ambulance together. A lot of Saturday nights we're still like working together, but I think we genuinely enjoy being around each other. And we weren't the siblings that hard-headed fought all the time, you know. We just, we've always got along, and so, and that helps. Mm -hmm. So as far as our duties, we wear many hats, very many hats. And so, I mean, it's, I actually joke with people. I actually did this on an application one time. I was buying a vehicle, and they needed to know what my job title was. I'm like, I don't. So I put master jug lugger because <laughs> there's a lot of days where I'm lugging five gallon, two and a half, two, two and a half gallon jugs of some chemical, you know, that we're addressing or there's, you know, I'm throwing bags of seed, 50 pound bags of seed or um, inoculating beans for a bean crop. So I think flexibility is the best job description that we have to have. And so sometimes there are days that I'm like, well, that's really what Dane does but I can do it. And he's the same way. Well, that's really Becky's deal, but she's gone. So let me go ahead and, you know, take care of that. So, um, the job description has, it's not necessarily challenging. It's just, you have to be capable of doing many things. We, Dane and I joke all the time. It's a darn good thing. We're good at math because every day we use mathematics. We use science you know, we have to be literate enough to compose a sentence in an email back to somebody. So, but, you know, and I've thanked my math teachers time and time again. Mrs. Gokin and Mr. Hofen have been, they were phenomenal math teachers. Mr. Means, our science teacher, you know, um, I'm not just singling out those, but I naturally gravitated towards math and science. But I thank the dear Lord every day because <laughs> it's an algebraic equation on, you know, how much chemical you to use or splits between tenants and when we're writing invoices. So anyway, that kind of got off on it. But you just have to, I guess, be flexible with what your job duties are versus what you're willing to do. And you got to be willing to do so much more than what a job duty says on a piece of paper because there's a lot of other duties as assigned. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about what it's like to be a female in this business, because like you mentioned, it's a very male dominated industry. Right. And so what has that been like for you? Um, being female in the industry definitely poses challenges, but I'm, I think a lot of people in this community are still farming um, when I was growing up. And so they saw how much farming I did growing up and the meticulousness that even when I was 14 driving a tractor, I was like, and this is pre-GPS, this is pre-driving anything for you straight. I'm like, I'm going to see how straight I can drive this spring tooth today. 
And I'd have farmers compliment me. Ah, you you could put down a chalk line and snap that chalk line all the way across the field. You know, whenever your dad fires you, if you want to come work for me, you know, you I'll be the first <laughs> one to employ you. So I take pride in doing things very good, being meticulous in my work, and trying to do them to the best of my ability, whatever the gender role. Um, and I would say majority of our growers embrace that you know they 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 don't they don't care that I'm female Mm -hmm. like they can see that I can throw a 50 pound sack just as good as a 50 pound sack now every once in a while I get somebody come in that's not one of our growers that might be a truck driver and they go there and I'm like oh hell no you didn't (laughs) because I can drive this forklift just as good as anybody Mm -hmm. male or female watch me you know, so yeah. <laughs> every once in a while, it's like, oh, hell no. I'm a, I am going, yeah, 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 I'm female. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yes, I can drive a forklift. Yes, I can change the oil in that big thing. Yes, I've probably changed more oil than things in pieces of equipment, um, cars, trucks, semis, whatever, than you have. So where are we going with this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I can kind of go on that feminist side. I try not to because most everybody around here respects that you know we're a successful business and I do good work and and then there's some guys that are like you know what I'd much rather have a female driver tractor for me you guys listen you guys don't tear stuff up you you know so it's kind of the both ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. but is it challenging being a female in the industry it has its challenges I'm fortunate in this community that it's not as challenging as it could be and the best part of me about, about being female in an industry, when we're at a conference, I do not have to wait for a stall in the bathroom. <laughs> there are no lines. <laughs> so, no. But, you know, I, I, I take pride in um, doing good work, whether female or male. I think the employees at Wilbur Fertilizer Service all take pride in a meticulousness that is respected in our community. And I hope that our growers, and I do feel that our growers, um, whether gender comes into play or not, we still try to provide the best service that we can and do the best job that we can. And we're all, we joke how meticulous, and we it's almost like a competition of, oh, did you see that corner I made, you know, or did you see the spray job? That was, that was awesome. Or so... Um, Along comes some challenges as a female in the industry. But I would like to think that in our community, with the the upbringing that I have of the farming that I've done, um, and how much even as a young kid I took pride in straight lines and took pride in seeing how straight I could cut this alfalfa field without any skips. Um, I hope that still today reigns true in the work that I do for our growers. And our slogan is helping our growers' crops thrive since 1965. And I hope whether I'm female or whether my brother's male or whatever, that that doesn't play into the fact that we do try to do the best job that we can. Yeah. So So what does it mean to you to be able to come back and be a part of this legacy of your family business? Yeah, well, I still have to answer a lot of the questions like, now you did what? (laughs) You loved Stillwater. You loved your job. You loved, you know, all of us. 
And I was like, you know, yes, I do. But the value of moving home and being a part of a business that my great-grandfather gave to, my grandfather gave to, my mom and my dad have devoted to, my dad devoted 40-plus years of working hard hours, long hours. My brother had committed to coming home. And I knew that by me moving home would allow Wilbur Fertilizer Service and that Wilbur name and the ability to service our community, it would allow it to continue. Because there was a, you know, my dad wasn't getting any younger and he'd spent a lot of years in his truck and his body, the body can only handle so much of that, that it was, although hard decision, very good decision that I'm proud to continue the Wilbur Fertilizer name. I'm proud to continue the fact that hopefully in 20 years we're still helping crops thrive, mm-hmm. you know, in Northwest Oklahoma. Um, my brother had committed to it. I decided to commit to it. And is it long-term? You know, I don't know. I don't know what the future will hold, but I know that the today's best decision is for me to embrace Wilbur Fertilizer Service. That's great. What would you say to someone facing a similar decision to the one that you made to Mm -hmm. move back Mm -hmm. and to pour yourself into your hometown? I would probably say two things. The first thing is if you're going to do it, you got to give 100%. Because in rural America, you're not going to be successful half-ass in anything. And really in anywhere, you know, you've got to you've got to give what you want to get out of it and you're, you're going to get more out of it if you give 100%. So that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing that I would say is do it. Don't be the person that you look back, and I'm one of these people, like I don't want to be a person to look back in 20 years and go, man, I wish I would have. Yeah. Because if we don't have people investing in rural America, if we don't have people moving back, these little towns are not going to be here in 20 years. We've got to have people that are willing to invest what our parents invested, what our grandparents invested, what our great-grandparents invested And are times more challenging in rural America? I don't know the true answer to that. I know times are challenging in the farming America, but we still have to feed the world. Yeah. I tell a lot of my friends, they're like, now what do you do? Like, okay, this is the best way that I can say it. I feed America and I save lives. Yeah. Because I came home and I farm and I'm an EMT. Mm-hmm. You know, now I guess I could say I feed America, I save lives, and I put out fires. Because <laughs> I'm not a firefighter. But, you know, so I, I think people, if, 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 if somebody's thinking about doing it, don't look back in 20 years and go, man, I wish I would have. And if they have the opportunity to do it, you got to give 110%, 100%. Because... It's just, it's important to invest in it. And it may not be forever, but if you do it, then you have the answer of, you know what? I did it. I tried it. I tried to make that community thrive. I tried to um, open a restaurant. You know, I actually love to cook. 
And a lot of my friends are like, you should open a restaurant too. <laughs> There's no way I could. There's no way I have the time. And then they're like, and you have a fitness industry background. You should totally open a gym. And I'm like, yeah, I should, but I just don't have time. You know, I, I strive for work-life balance or attempt it. Um, I am one of those people that function well being very busy. And this time of year, it's hard to probably in some definitions find work-life balance. But I think that comes natural in some regards with farming and the agriculture industry that you have very busy times and then you have maybe some slower times, but they're still busy times. So work-life balance is important for somebody that's going to invest in moving home and trying to make it work, but also take care of yourself. I don't have kids, I'm not married. And so my work-life balance, or actually my cup that I fill is through travel. And so it's not uncommon for me to, well, in March, we were kind of caught up and it was my birthday and March 23rd, I booked a trip from March 25th through March 28th. Nice. <laughs> so I totally get now why growing up, my dad would come home on a Tuesday and say, let's call and see if we can go to Red River, New Mexico tomorrow, come home Sunday. And I'm like, what? We're leaving tomorrow? Like, I'm not going to say bye to my friends or I'm not going to get to see him for a while. Okay. You know, but now, like, I get it. Because you're so busy, you're so busy, you're so busy, you're so busy. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, my gosh, there's that light at the end of the tunnel. It's here. We got to some downtime. Yeah. You know, we've got to take a break. We've got to debrief. Because there was one day this spring... Like, it was a busy time. We were doing beans. We were in harvest. We were trying to plant our own crops. I talked on my phone all day long. I talked to people all day long. And I got home at, like, 9, 9.30 at night, which was actually kind of early. And I was supposed to call my cousin, and I text her. I said, I cannot talk anymore today. My brain is dead. Like, my brain. So the cognitive drain that you can get is also, you know, something that you have to think about. It's not just the physical aspects of farming. When you own a business and you're in it, you know, there's a cognitive aspect too. And I'm learning all the time. You ask earlier, you know, like, was it a challenge doing something new or was it a challenge learning the crops? I'm like, you know, it, 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 you're learning all the time. So you're, that cognitive strain, um, you have to take care of that too. I literally laid in my bed. I didn't have my TV on. I did no social media. I turned out the lights and I just laid there in silence and it was wonderful. Uh-huh. I was just, I was that like that yeah. tired. So, you know, work-life balance, cognitive drain, um, the physical drain, you have to, you have to figure that out. And so, so I'm going to ask you something because I think this is something a lot of people think about when they think about moving back. Do you ever feel stuck? You know, that's an interesting question because I'm the type of person I think if I ever did feel stuck, that would be the time that I might know that it's time to do something. Mm -hmm. There are days, I'm not going to lie, I feel stuck a little bit because my brother has a wife and kids to go home to. My mom and dad have each other to go home to. And I come home and maybe it's been a bad day and I, you don't, I don't have anybody to share that with, you yeah. know, I don't have anybody to talk to about with. 
we're close family though that I do spend a lot of time at my brother and sister-in-laws and with my niece and nephew and I'll go grab them and there's a lot of benefit there but being stuck I could see where that you know there are days where it's like man like this is this what I want to do is this what what do I want to do I know this is the right thing for me to be doing right now and I just had this conversation with a friend the other day and one of the questions that I hate in an interview or dislike in an interview is where do you see yourself in 10 years because if you had asked me that 15 years ago, 10 years ago, where do you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> what I answered in interviews, it's like, not well, dead. that's not even close to what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I moved to Costa Rica. Yeah. <laughs> I gave up a career in higher education and moved back home to my 1,500-person two-stoplight town. So... I really dislike that question in that regard because it's like, what will people really be doing in 10 years? Because you really don't know. And I think where I get, where I come from in that is I live each day to the fullest. I think a lot of my friends and close-knit family was like, would agree that it's like, here she is. She can light up the room. We sometimes hear her before we even see her coming because she's got that laughter and, you know, so there's that aspect of, I don't know where I see myself in 10 years, but I know the decision to move home was the correct decision. When I did, I said I would move home for five years. It's coming up on five years and it's still going good. Like I don't regret it except for that 5% of the time that I mentioned earlier, but that's normal. I yeah, would say that'd absolutely. be in any job. It's mm-hmm. like, I got to find another job, you know, <laughs> but with the... With the kind of that 80, 15, 5, um, and being, feeling stuck, I'm the type of person, because I don't like answering, where do you see yourself in 10 years, that if I do ever feel stuck, and am, let's say, miserable, and don't like what I'm doing 80% of the time, I think I'll be okay with saying, you know what, I came, I did, we were successful, I gave it my all it's probably time for me to move and do something else. I don't foresee that happening um, because I do have you know, my family here. But I'm also the type of person that if I do feel stuck and I am miserable, life's too short. Yeah. You know, life's about the journey, not the destination. Mm-hmm. And so my journey may not be in Cherokee as I thought the destination might be. So I probably would maybe, maybe, maybe go back into higher education. Maybe go back. I worked at Disney World for a summer on a college program. Maybe go back to Central Florida, work at Disney World. You know, I always joke with people about that. That's where I'm going to retire. I'm (laughs) going to be that person. I'm going to be like, if you look up ahead and off to your right, you'll see whatever, you know, with the Disney point. Um, So did that kind of answer the question, okay, on being stuck? Absolutely. And I think that's important to keep an open mind because if you just go back and look at it as this is all or nothing and this is a forever decision, you might trap yourself and you're right. Life's too short. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think, and I may be unique in the aspect of maybe some people are, well, it's all or nothing. 
I'm, uh, I'm going to give it a hundred percent, you know, for five years, reevaluate, but you know, I just bought a house. I've got awesome niece and nephew that live three doors down from me. So I, I'm, I think I'm the type of person, I may be unique in the aspect of some people may be all or nothing. And I'm probably maybe on a little bit different spectrum of let's do it. I'm not going to look back in 20 years and go, man, I wish I would have. Or maybe the flip side of that is I want to look back 20 years from now and go, you know what? I did that. You know what? I carried on a family business and I carried it on with my brother and I was able to work alongside my dad. I was there with my mom, my older brother's in town too. And so I want to be able to look back and see that. And so I think that's why I'm living in the moment for as long as that moment is as, you know, gratifying as it has been. Yeah. Why is the future of rural America important? I think the future of rural America is important, especially in what I know as rural America. Most of the time, that's where your agriculture communities are. Um, it takes more now to feed the world. We've got to do more with less um, in the aspect of equipment's getting so pricey that, you know, it's like, well, you know, you have a new green tractor. Yeah, it costs $300,000. But rural America is important in the aspect of agriculture. Still, ha We still have to farm. We still have to feed America. We still have to embrace the fact that it's not going to do it itself. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a 320-acre piece of ground or in the middle of a metropolitan area producing 400, 350 bushel corn. That's not going to feed America. Is that going to stimulate the economy? And is that going to, you know, provide jobs? Sure. But rural America, we have to invest back in rural America so we can continually feed the world. So we have the population to obviously, you know, have jobs of all types. That's probably what I see as the importance of rural America off the cuff without really getting a chance to think about that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Okay. Yeah. You know, and another interesting aspect that I get into that I don't really actually like to get into, so I'm not going to elaborate on it that much, is one of the biggest challenges I see being in agriculture, rural America, heartland of trying to produce food for the world, is some of the people that have a very narrow-minded thinking of what agriculture is what farming is, of what food production is. There's so much that people, it's kind of like that, drive along the interstate, see a billboard, it flashes something that it's like, oh, wow, that's the truth. But I find myself in very challenging conversations with people who believe their truth, let's say in the non-GMO, the organic, the... Um, all natural, the, that whole argument is probably one of my biggest challenges with some of my friends that don't really know about farming. They've seen that billboard driving alongside the road mm -hmm. or they've heard somebody talk about it in a 
infomercial on TV. Um, Cause I would say 95% of all farmers do things correctly. We don't want insecticides in our food chain. We don't want, you know, chemicals in our food chain. So we're going to do everything we possibly can to prevent that, to make that not happen. Um, I literally had a conversation with a gentleman in Trader Joe's. You know, I'm a Trader Joe's fan. I like going in there. Um, but he was a Middle Eastern gentleman that was really mad at Trader Joe's for what they were labeling as organic. But there's no regulations. You can, I mean, there's a, maybe a few res- regulations, but he, and he actually went and got the manager and he was like, this right here, this is not organic. It cannot be. It's got this product in it. You know, so he actually was educating me a little bit. I was very open-minded to what his beliefs were. And so, and I told him, you know, I, I grow wheat, I grow soy, I grow um, sorghum. You know, I, that, that, that's what I do. So I think when people get so extreme and are extremists in anything, it's very narrow-minded thinking. And I think we can all maybe look a little bit in a broader spectrum it's probably one of the biggest challenges that I have when people are like, what do you do? When I have to say, you know what, I feed America and I save lives. But there's a whole lot more to that, you know, and it usually goes Monsanto. It usually goes non-GMO. It usually goes organic. It usually goes all natural. It usually goes insecticides. But I just feel like I try to educate myself. So when I am in that situation, I can try to educate someone else, whether they want to believe it or whether they want to leave, believe that billboard sign, you know, that's, that's probably a, that's a, that's a challenge. Yeah. And I think it's important that people don't let a marketing campaign take the place of educating themselves about these types of things. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Cause a lot of people don't realize you probably put more fertilizer on your lawn than goes into a whole acre of, of a crop. Yeah. Yeah. These are also the same people that I've oftentimes had to explain in this drought situation where we were, we've gone, we planted our wheat in the latter part of October, um, or uh, let's just say the months of October. We didn't get a rain till February 12th, something like wow. that. Wow. So literally the growing cycle of wheat, when it needs moisture the most, we weren't getting it. And I literally had a friend one of these that I've also had a conversation with about maybe high-profile um, organizations that have a bad rap. They ask me, well, can't you just take your truck out there and water that quarter of land? And so I had <laughs> to explain to them how much, like, how much water we're talking about yeah. for us to take an 1,800-gallon tank spray rig that we can put out however many gallons a minute to go get a quarter of an inch of rain on 160 acres. And it blew their mind. But fortunately, they were willing to listen to me and to absorb that in. But I think it's just part of that naiveness of what do we do out in rural America? Like some people, that's, and I still go back to, I have to tell them, I feed America and I save lives. Yeah. Like, and I have five hires. <laughs> I gotta <laughs> add that one now. I'm gonna make my chief mad. It's very important. So you know, that's I guess it absolutely a marketing campaign um, 
can really skew what's really happening in the agricultural world and the farming world. And it can really pose some challenges for us, um, these tariffs, you know, that are happening with the soybeans and China. You know, we've got a significant amount, not a significant amount when you compare it to Iowa or Illinois, but a significant amount when you're comparing it to the amount of acres that are typically grown in our region of soybeans, how they're increasing, because they have the capability of making money. But now with the tariffs with China, you know, that's all of the stuff that somebody probably sitting in a high-rise building doesn't, doesn't have a clue. Right. You know, and you mentioned earlier about is it challenging being female in the industry? Another challenge that I have is when maybe a account representative from one of our companies that we purchase something for that's, you know, often a building in a big metropolitan area calls me the latter part of March and asks me if I'm enjoying my spring break. <laughs> because I kind of had to restrain myself of not biting off his head that I was on, you know, 25th day of 14 hour days. And sir, you obviously don't understand what's going on out here because there is no spring break. Yeah. And then he went on to whether or not I was, was, aren't I the secretary? You know, and so it was just those buttons that continually kind of pushed that I think it would be cool to, you know, come out, come see. Yeah. I li- I would love for people to come out and come see. A real the challenge- field trip. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I, that's probably where field trip, you know, the farm kids, our yeah. field trip growing up, we were going to the, like, the Shrine Circus in Oklahoma City <laughs> or the Science <laughs> Museum. It needs to be reverse roles. Yes. You know, these, these, some of these city kids that aren't exposed to growing a plant should come out. Now, the challenge is they want to come out and harvest time and you know as well as I know harvest time and temperaments are not exactly the time that you want to entertain people right you're tired a piece of equipment just broke down you have rain in the forecast you're running against the clock you're running against the clock and you you know a field trip at that point may not actually be the best you know time but I can tell you this, anytime somebody stopped alongside the road and came out and, um, you know, so-and-so, a representative has brought some people and they said, hey, can we go ride the combine? I can promise you my family's always said yes. Mm-hmm. Same. Sure. I'll tell you when you start asking too many questions. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, you know, you're, you, there's a lot to pay attention to when you're at harvest and making sure that machines are running correctly, but. Um, but there's you know, also nothing like harvest. There's nothing like harvest. And that's what I was saying earlier. You know, you see your hard work, what you've put into it. You, you, you're reaping those benefits in many more ways than, yeah, we get to sell this through our cooperative association. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I did that. I planted that seed. I prayed for rain. I made sure that it wasn't, you know, being, uh, killed by an insect or it wasn't being damaged by, you know, hope you pray for it. We have hail, we have tornadoes, we have storms that can be devastating to a crop about the time the harvest. 
And, you know, just seeing it dump over, you know, I got so frustrated one time in a, in a <laughs> grain cart. We were harvesting Milo. And around here, we shoot for 100 bushel Milo. We were cutting a field that was making like 130 bushels. And I was frustrated as the grain cart driver because I was not able to keep up with the combines that couldn't go one half of a mile down and not even a little bit back because they're overflowing and I couldn't get to them fast enough to fill my grain cart to go and fill the truck and get back to them before they needed to dump. Wow. And finally, I think it was my uncle. My uncle said, Becky, we will never gripe at you for not getting here fast enough when we have a bumper crop. Yeah. I, was like, I love that. Because <laughs> I just ran that truck over. I didn't get my auger turned off on time. You know, you've got your auger out. You're flashing your lights because we're trying to, you know. So, um, you know, there's there's that aspect of it's the harvest is, is good. The uh, wheat harvest the last couple of years has, you know, not been great. So, hence the diversity of crops that we're trying to do in here. In yeah, the I think that's really so. interesting. And to circle back with what you were saying, too, if people could come out here and see and experience what actually goes on, Mm -hmm. I think it would shift their, their perspective in a big way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And kind of along that line, um, I just kind of, I had a really cool moment one time trying to explain to somebody that we as farmers never, ever, ever want to have to use an insecticide. Yeah. Yep. And so, and the way that I could explain this to this friend was if your dog literally was dying and you had the opportunity to give it a pill that isn't the best for the pill or isn't the best for the dog, but it saved its life and you were able to, you know, have a lot of great years with, you know, And I said, but just think about if that dog was a money generator for you. You don't necessarily want to have to give it that pill. But if it's generating money for you and you're able to save its life, you're going to do it, right? They're like, well, absolutely. So that's the same decision I have to make on a crop that if I don't spray it with an insecticide in three days, maybe five days, it's dead, dead not going to live, not going to produce grain, not going to make me as a farmer, as a grower, as a business, you know, as not going to make any money. Those are some of the same decisions we have to make. Not necessarily the best or we want to use it, but it's saving the life of something that is creating a monetary aspect for that particular landowner. You know, they're able to maybe make a living, (laughs) They're maybe maybe able to go buy groceries. And so I know it's like, you know, the dog isn't going to generate any money, but it's kind of, you know, if it's a controversial something, it's going to save a loved one's, you know, your kid's life or your dog's life. Or, and they kind of grasp that a mm-hmm. little bit mm-hmm. of, wow, okay, yeah, I've never thought of it that way. So I say, you know, we have a certain amount of, and, and I try to educate them a little bit, probably more than they even want to know sometimes. <laughs> but I'm like, you went there. <laughs> you said that big name company. <laughs> Doors open. Doors open. I'm going <laughs> to close it. We're at least going to listen for a minute. But, you know, so I try to put it into a perspective. How can they relate with what I'm doing in rural America to one, try to make, our growers' money, 
to try to feed the world more population, less acres, mm-hmm. and try to do that to the best of our ability. And sometimes, you know, it takes an insecticide or sometimes it takes a herbicide that has a noxious weed, you know, that we're trying to really eradicate and not share the love with our neighboring states of, you know, <laughs> a pomeran- resistant pomeranth or, you know, the must thistle. <laughs> like, we're not sharing that love. We don't mean, you know. So anyway, that's, it, it, and that's maybe where I'm, I have a strength of how can I relate this to people where they're going to understand something that that marketing billboard is like, well, that must be the truth. Yep. You know, would you just take 10 minutes and hear my truth? Yeah. Because I'm, you know, trying to do it as equally good, you know, as that billboard's marketing scheme. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. It's super know, important. But anyway. Any last words that you want to share with our audience? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for coming yeah. to the middle of Northwest Oklahoma, yes. our little two stoplight town, to maybe shine a light of what we're doing out here. Um, and I know a lot of that is connections. Mm-hmm. And we were connected through great friends yes. who understand what we're trying to do. They're, they're also in the, the agriculture community and believe that what we're doing is, is good for the world, not just the United States, not just for Oklahoma. Um, so thank you. Um, I'm a big believer of is it six degrees of Kevin Bacon? You know, yeah. anywhere I go, I'm always trying to find a connection of, Oh my gosh, Holstein, Iowa. How are you? How are you yeah. from Holstein, <laughs> Iowa? You know, I worked at Walt Disney world with a girl that lived there. So, um, six degrees of Katie and Kevin Meeks this time. <laughs> I know we should totally, yeah, yeah, six degrees of Katie and Kevin Meeks. That's totally true. Um, you know, and I think with anything, I certainly have what I believe farming should be. I certainly have my beliefs in running a small independent company and striving to continue that and not be pushed out by larger companies. Um, I certainly believe, and I try to educate myself on all of those. I believe there's importance of before you form your opinion or before you form what's your truth, educate yourself a little bit. And so that might be something that I would, you know, encourage people to do is, you know, ask questions, come out, you know, ask if you can take a field trip. Um, Because I think in order for this world to be better, we all have to try to strive to do better. I'm not saying the farming practices that we did today, that we do today are what we're going to do in 20 years. Because they're sure not today what we did 25, 30 years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. And what my farming practices are versus what, you know, another grower's farming practices are, um, may not be the same belief, but it works best for him or her. And it works best for me and my family. Um, but for those of, you know, kind of looking outside in on what rural America is, um, educate yourself, you know, maybe pick up a no-till journal and, what's the difference between no-till and till practice? You know, um, that's kind of my nerdism coming out a little mm-hmm. bit because I do love being a lifelong learner and I do, you know, try to take different perspectives in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Because farming is just like any industry. There's a lot of similarities that that stay throughout the year, but then there's some things we have to change to do better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same with life. We all stuck, you know, in medicine. 20 years ago, cardiology surgery is totally different than a surgery of the heart today. Um, We all need to try to strive to do better, to be better. And I think with that, we'll have a better world. Agreed. I think that's a great way to end it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Boom. Mic drop. Yeah. Becky, Uh thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yep. It's been fun. Okay. Well, who's ready for a field trip? I love to hear Becky talk about what it means to live in and give back to a community that gave a lot to her as she was growing up. And I just want to thank her for her complete honesty and transparency about some really important topics. She touched on so many things that I believe are legitimate concerns for a lot of our audience. And if you're contemplating a move to rural America, I hope this will help you in your decision-making process. Thanks again, Becky, for being on the podcast and for giving us a real glimpse into your life in rural America. We'll be back here again next week. Have a great day, everybody.